0: Matthew 15, verse 30 says, And great multitudes came unto him, having with them those that were lame, blind, dumb, maimed, and many others, and cast them down at Jesus' feet, and he healed them. Insomuch that the multitude wondered when they saw the dumb to speak and the maimed to be whole, the lame to walk and the blind to see, and they glorified the God of Israel. Then Jesus called his disciples unto him and said, I have compassion on the multitude because they continue with me now three days and have nothing to eat. And I will not send them away fasting unless they faint in the way. And his disciples said to him, Whence should we have so much bread in the wilderness as to fill so great a multitude? And Jesus saith unto them, How many loaves have ye? And they said, Seven, and a few little fishes. And he commanded the multitude to sit down on the ground. And he took the seven loaves and the fishes and gave thanks and break them and gave to his disciples and the disciples to the multitude. And they did all eat and were filled. And they took up of the broken meat that was left, seven baskets full. And they that did eat were 4,000 men beside women and children. And he sent away the multitude and took ship and came into the coast of Magdala. Now, as we've been going through Matthew, it wasn't long ago that we read of the story of the feeding of the 5,000. And just a short time after, we have another multitude gathered around to, to hear what Jesus has to say. And he says they've been with them three days. And they have nothing to eat. I, I assume they've been fasting the three days while they've been following Jesus in the wilderness here. It's possible that some of them had had some food and it's been consumed. And now Jesus, again, doesn't want to send the people away hungry, fasting, lest they faint in the way. And I would think that... I. I if it had been from lunchtime till supper time, and now you're sending me walking home, I'm probably not going to faint in the way. But after three days of not eating, that's a bit more of a possibility. So it probably has been a longer amount of time. But I just, I want to look at this a little differently. Um, I'm going to move away from from this passage, but I just. I think this passage is a good example of what our churches ought to be like. And I see the people come together, they bring their problems, (laughs) and they present the problems. And to whatever extent, now, Jesus was capable of solving every problem, every disease was healed. (laughs) Every problem was solved with Christ sitting there in front of them. But in our churches, we can come together and we can bring our problems to each other. And as a community of believers, we can solve a lot of each other's problems. We can help each other in a lot of ways. And that, I believe, is really what our, part of what our church ought to be. Um this week we we're doing our Bible study and as I was getting ready for it we we're in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 and oddly in that passage I when I was looking at it and studying it what I saw was this church and this continual comment of you're gathered together and it was you're together in one place, you're together in the church and it was a community of believers gathering together and that's kind of where I focused and I started looking at the church and in looking at that I'm, I have a, an old Schofield reference Bible and with the notation on the church I went and looked up his little it's just a short paragraph about the church and his description of what the church the local church is intended to do what what the things we do as a community of believers are and as i looked at that and we talked about it a little bit on wednesday i think we've been falling short I think our whole society has fallen short of what the intention of the local church really is. And that was weighing on me. And as I, I'm looking at this, this was the next passage in Matthew for us to look at. And I see just an example of Christ in that community. And this is a mega church, if there ever was one. 4,000 men plus women and children, there's got to be 10,000 people here. (laughs) And yet there's a community of care that is being fulfilled in that that goes beyond a lot of what even small churches like ours manages to accomplish. So I'm just going to look at a little bit of the examples I see in scripture of what the local church looked like in the New Testament and maybe what we need to strive to look like as a church family. I'm going to be at a lot of different verses if you want to follow along. Uh, First of all I'm going to go to Acts chapter 13. One of the things that I noticed as I started to think about this description that Schofield gave, and I I didn't write it down, I didn't bring it with me, but this description, these things that the church does, and in contrast of what our churches typically look like, and what I saw was we have this tendency to just go through the motions of church. We come we, we have this opening thing, we, we sing a few songs, hopefully we pray, and we preach, and then we sing another song and off we go. And it becomes this mechanical thing that we're just going through the motions and the actual intent of church is this deeper fellowship, its growth, um, not just checking off that I did my duty this week of going to church. So. Anyway, Acts chapter 13, um, starting verse 1, says, Now there were in the church that was at Antioch certain prophets and teachers, as Barnabas and Simeon, that was called Niger, and Lucius of Cyrene and Manaean, which had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. As they ministered to the Lord and fasted, The Holy Ghost said, Separate me, Barnabas and Saul, for the work whereunto I have called them. And when they had fasted and prayed, and laid their hands on them, they sent them away. So they being sent forth by the Holy Ghost, departed unto Seleucia, and from thence they sailed to Cyprus. And when they were at Salamis, they preached the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews, And they had also John to their minister. And I'll pause there, but we see these people were gathered together. And they ministered to the Lord. And they fasted. And the Holy Ghost is speaking to them. There's this closeness in their fellowship together and in their prayer and study that the Holy Ghost is actually there (laughs) in a, in a notable way and speaks to them and doesn't say they heard an audible voice. It doesn't like, it's not this other see-through kind of body standing beside this ghost. That's now talking. We don't know what this looked like. But most of us understand this, God said this to me. And we almost can't describe how we know that God said this to me, but I just know that God said this to me. And it happens. And there's been times where I'm trying to preach or prepare a sermon on something. I remember years ago, I was asked to um, preach at the Dorian Bible Camp for a week. And I had this idea this outline that I was trying to preach or trying to make lessons for. And I worked at it and worked at it and worked at it. And I preached the whole week's worth of messages and never once touched that outline that I was trying to build on because that's not what God wanted for me. That was just what I thought was a good idea. And every time I got this lesson, started writing, it was like God directed me this other direction. Um, And I just knew that, God was telling me that that thing that I thought was a good idea, it wasn't what he wanted me to speak on. And How do you describe that? I don't know. But we know that God speaks to us. And so God spoke to them and gave them direction for these people. Separate these two for the ministry. I'm going to probably next week speak more about missions directed focus in our churches and sending people, preparing people to go into missions and into the ministry. Um, But that's certainly a part of what we need to be doing as a church is building up people and sending them out to reach more people. But verse 3 here, maybe where I want to focus is, when they had fasted and prayed, and laid their hands on them, they sent them away." This idea of laying on of hands, and when I started searching the Bible for this phrase, laying on of of hands, there's probably more times when it, I remember the one that kind of stood out to me, is like, he laid hands on him and took him by the throat. (laughs) There's an aggressive laying on of hands, and that's not what we're talking about. There's the laying on of hands of, I'm praying for the person, and I'm putting my hands physically on that person as I pray for them. And the charismatic churches tend to do this. And we as very conservative Baptists have this tendency to to be very hands-off and we don't, we don't want to get too into someone's personal space and we're so careful. <laughs> and I think we're missing a huge part of what God intended for our our fellowship to include when we don't do these things that are examples through scripture. and There's many examples of this happening, the laying on of hands as people are praying for other people. Um, Jesus does this a couple of times. Matthew chapter 19 is one example. in verse 13 it says then there were brought unto him little children that he should put his hands on them and pray and the disciples rebuked them but jesus said suffer little children forbid them not to come unto me for of such is the kingdom of heaven and he laid his hands on them and departed thence it was important for him to actually physically lay his hands on them to touch them. This physical touch, this contact is important. And we live in a world where people frown on touching. We're afraid to give a person a hug or put your arm around someone's shoulder. Cause we might get accused of touching them inappropriately. And we're afraid of doing the things that scripture tells us to do. But The intent and the the method of doing these things is different than that, of course. We need to be careful, but we're supposed to lay our hands on people as we're praying for them. If you've ever been in the situation where somebody has been praying for you, what you feel changes (laughs) from just hearing words spoken somebody actually coming and touching you while they're praying, there's something deeper happens there. You feel, (laughs) I can't even describe what you feel, but you know that there's more happening than just the words being spoken. It's important. In Mark chapter 6, Verse 5 says, and he could do there no mighty work because the people didn't save. He laid his hands on a few sick folk and healed them. It's so like he could, could do no mighty work. He just healed a few people. <laughs> no big deal. Big deal to those people though, wasn't it? That Jesus came and touched them, laid his hands on them and prayed over them and healed them. It's important to have that physical contact. Back in Acts chapter nine, verse seventeen, it says, "And Ananias went his way and entered into the house, and putting his hands on him." And this is this is when <laughs> Paul was Saul. And God had met him in the way and blinded him, presented Christ directly to Saul. And now Ananias has come and says, entered into the host and putting his hands on him, said, brother Saul, the Lord, even Jesus that appeared unto thee in the way, as thou camest, has sent me, that thou mightest receive thy sight and be filled With the Holy Ghost, and immediately there fell from his eyes as it had been scales, and he received sight forthwith and arose and was baptized. And we just, he laid hands on him. I'm here as your friend, I'm here to comfort you and to call you my brother. And he puts his hands on him, he touches him. Later on in Acts, chapter 28. In verse 8. It says, And it came to pass that the father of Publius lay sick of a fever and of a bloody flux, to whom Paul entered in and prayed and laid his hands on him and healed him. We could carry on through the book of Acts. It's just full of, of examples of people laying their hands and praying over another person. In 1st Timothy, later on, in the church, not just in the, the very first churches, but as things start to get established, now, uh, 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 14. Paul is... Or verse. <laughs> I'll back up just a little bit there. Um, verse 11 says, These things command and teach. Let no man despise thy youth, but be thou an example of the believers in word, in conversation, in charity, in spirit, in faith, in purity. Till I come, give attendance to reading, to exhortation, to doctrine. Neglect not the gift that is in thee, which was given thee by prophecy, with the laying on of the hands of the presbytery. Meditate on these things. Give thyself wholly to them, that thy profiting may appear to all. Now this, there's some instruction of what we ought to live like but we see as timothy was called and placed into a position of ministry of leadership in a church it says it was done with the laying on of the hands of the presbytery presbytery just being the church the people (laughs) the people in the church It was done with the laying on of hands. People are praying over him as they're committing him to the Lord to do service for the Lord and they lay their hands on him. It's important to have that physical contact and that physical contact, and it can be done in prayer as we pray for people and there's more beyond that. Um, Galatians chapter 2 kind of gives a, a different Example of this physical contact and the importance of it. Galatians 2 verse 9 says, And when James, Cephas, and John, who seemed to be pillars, perceived the grace that was given unto me, they gave to me and Barnabas the right hands of fellowship, that we should go unto the heathen, and they unto the circumcision. And... What I see in here is they gave unto us the right hands of fellowship. And I kind of looked that up a little bit to see what that involved. And it's just a, it's a form of a greeting, um, a form of just acknowledging this brotherhood. And this is this tradition of this right hands of fellowship is where we get the shaking of hands from as we greet each other and like at this at this point paul is new to the faith he used to be opposing to the faith he used to be hunting down these christians and having them killed and imprisoned and these people see the change in him and now they extend their hand to welcome him into their fellowship There's a number of passages, I won't turn to, to any of them. 1 Corinthians 16, verse 20, Second 2 Corinthians 13, verse 12, 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 26, and 1 Peter 5, verse 14, all tell us to greet one another with a holy kiss. This is the instruction to these churches is to greet one another with a holy kiss. Now I don't I'm not suggesting we start kissing each other when we when we get together on Sunday morning. But you know how many of us miss having a hug when we get here on Sunday morning. Maria was this Standard thing. You couldn't walk into this place without getting a hug from Maria. When uh, Royden and Kathy came back from out east, Kathy came over and gave me a hug to greet me. What a blessing that is to be greeted with a hug. To feel. There's nothing, there's no way to feel more loved and cared about than when somebody wants to give you a hug, to greet you. That physical contact is so important to us as people. I think of just a simple handshake, and I think we've all shaken enough hands to to have experienced, there's many different messages in a handshake. (laughs) A handshake can be done very cold, very formal, This is just a formality that we go through. Hi, nice to meet you. But you ever had a handshake that almost felt like a hug? (laughs) I've had people who would take my hand and they put their other hand on it and they hold that as they speak to you, as they greet you. It's a completely different handshake than... Just the, hi, nice to see you. There's a different meaning there. You can have a handshake that expresses a romantic feeling towards a person. Handshakes can mean a lot of different things in the way that it's done, in the way that you extend and touch this other person. That contact speaks volumes. Way more... Than any words will ever speak. Physical contact is a crucial part of the church. Of our fellowship in building relationships. Ex- expressing our love and care for each other. It's important that we have that physical contact. And I see it right through all of scripture. Especially looking at the New Testament. It's just full of of physical touch, expressing love and care for each other and in particular in prayer for one another. I made a, as I was looking at this, I just wrote this down, I said, there's groups of people who get together to watch a football game that have closer fellowship than most Christian churches. Isn't that true? Have you seen people get together for to watch some kind of sport? Especially playoffs. People get together in their homes and they have snacks and meals and drinks, of course. But But there's that closeness over this thing. And especially if we all are cheering for the same team. Man, that fellowship, that closeness... That community, you can feel it. <laughs> Yet we come to church and it's such a sterile environment and we each sit in our own pew and we, now it's, we each sit in our own car, separate from everybody. Avoiding contact, not seeing each other's eyes and feeling the emotions that we have. We're not knowing the needs of each other through that contact. It's not good. It's not healthy for us. Especially as a church, we need that contact. It needs to be personal. Third John chapter chapter 14. Third John verse 14. I thought was interesting. It says and this is just him closing off the letter verse 13 says, I had many things to write, but I will not with ink and pen write unto thee. But I trust I shall shortly see thee. And that right there is, it's not good enough to just write this letter. The phone call, the Zoom meeting, doesn't cut it. I need to see you face to face. It says, and we shall see. We shall speak face to face. Peace be with thee. Our friends, salutely, greet the friends by name. Isn't that interesting? Greet them by name. Don't just don't just say hi to everybody for me. It's greet them by name. This is personal. This is individual. I love Dave. Say hi to Jeff. Say hi to Chris. Sorry, I, I missed someone. <laughs> we need to say isn't that if you're going through and you say people by name and you skip somebody, how does that feel? I don't. You don't feel as important as these other people who were greeted by name, do you? It's important when we're greeting by name. It's like everybody I want to name everybody I want that person to know that I love them that I care that I'm thinking I'm praying for them it's personal it's not just a say hi to the family for me right it's it's beyond just this generalized thing it's like by name every one of them I want you to greet them by name it's deeper. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, which is where the, my Bible study was, and looking at verse 11, actually, verses 17 to 20 is where this passages come in. but it says, "When you come together, and it says again, "You come together in one place. <laughs> when you come together in the church." we need to gather together in one place and it says in the church indicating like we have a place set aside where we gather in one place it could it could indicate in our homes even but he says in the church we're we're referring to a, a building of sorts that's set aside for us to gather and when we we are to gather together in that place We need to gather together. We need to see each other face to face. We need to look each other in the eyes. We need to extend a hand. We need to put our arm around someone's shoulder. We need to lay hands as we pray for each other. We need personal contact. Philippians chapter 4, verse 21. Again, he says, salute every saint in Christ Jesus. The brethren which are with me greet you. Do you know where Paul is at this point? He's sitting in a jail cell. He says, the brethren that are with me greet you. There's people that sacrificed their lives to be with Paul as he's sitting in prison. They they set aside everything that they needed to be doing in life so they could be with him. So that they could show their love and care for him. And then they're extending that greeting: is we miss the rest of you too. We want to be together with all of you. It's important. Greet everybody, every one of them. I want you to greet them. I'm quickly running out of time here. If we go back to Acts chapter twenty. <laughs> yeah this is a good say I'm running out of time this is a good passage to turn to starting in verse 7 Acts chapter 20 verse 7 says and upon the first day of the week when the disciples came together first day, this is the first day of the week by the way we call it the weekend but technically if you look at your calendar Sunday is the first day of the week it starts the week, and this is the day that we meet together. This is the day that the apostles met together. So they met together together to break bread. Paul preached unto them, ready to depart on the morrow, and continued his speech until midnight. So if you think I'm preaching long, Paul Paul preached till midnight. He was long. And there were many lights in the upper chamber, where they were gathered together, and there sat in a window a certain young man named Eutychus, being fallen into a deep sleep. And as Paul was long preaching, he sunk down with sleep and fell down from the third loft and was taken up dead. And Paul went down and fell on him and embracing him said, Trouble not yourselves, for his life is in him. When he therefore was come up again and had broken bread and eaten and talked a long while, even till break of day. And so he departed. See, a couple of things here is, for one, they're gathered together. It's important that we meet together as believers to have this time of fellowship, this time of prayer and teaching and breaking bread, observing the Lord's Supper. But after the preaching was over, I suspect that the guy falling out of the third floor window and to his death probably ended the preaching. I think they maybe paused that and went down to, to check on him. But he preached long. There's nothing wrong with... When you're you're learning about public speaking and doing presentations, they say 20 minutes is about the extent of a typical person's attention span. And if I preach for 40 minutes, which I typically do, that means that nobody is going to pay attention the whole time that I'm preaching. You might doze off, especially if you're too comfy sitting in your car here. I've been in church, I don't know here, but I've been in churches, and I'm looking out and I can see people sleeping (laughs) and sometimes you take that personal but it's not personal it's just people's attention span can't go on that long but it will come back and you'll you'll start listening again and you'll get some more it's not a terrible thing that a person fell asleep during paul's preaching when he preached long nobody criticized the guy for falling asleep But what I see after the fact, they've raised him up, they've gone back upstairs and they've carried on they've now they eat. And it says, in verse eleven, when he was therefore come up again and had broken bread and eaten and talked a long while, even till the break of day. Remember it said he was there preaching till midnight, they kept talking and visiting and eating. Having fellowship until the break of day. (laughs) I don't know what time dawn comes. Probably six, seven o'clock in the morning in Israel. Man, there's a time of fellowship. (laughs) The last, well, we weren't here last week, but the last few weeks, um, people have been bringing a picnic lunch, and we've been eating lunch together at the picnic tables And that time is as important, maybe more important, than the time we spend singing and preaching. (laughs) That time of fellowship, growing relationships within our church family, is probably more important than anything else that we do together. And yet, and I'm picturing... We don't have as much of that problem, but bigger churches where they're holding multiple services, they're chasing the people out the door at the end of that service so that the next group can come in. Where's the fellowship? We've stopped being a church when it comes to that. When we turn off the microphone at the end of the preaching, that shouldn't be the end of the service. That shouldn't be the end of of our time as a church it should just be the beginning (laughs) we've just that's the introduction and now we're going to spend time together fellowshipping encouraging learning what each other's needs are (laughs) how do we pray for each other if we don't know each other if we don't look in each other's eyes and have conversations and learn what's going on in people's lives how will we know how to pray for them that's what a church needs to look like. Acts chapter 2 is a, a, another example. It's not where I would typically go to find our example of where to go to, what to look like as a church. This is like the very beginning. This is right at Pentecost. But there's a couple of things that, that happen here. At the end of the chapter, um, Acts 2, verse 44, says, And all that believed were together, and had all things common, and sold their possessions and goods, and parted them to all men, as every man had need. And now, I, I'm, that's why I said, this isn't the example, I'm not saying we should start a commune, and we all sell our houses, and all move together into one place. That's not the part of the example that we're looking at here. But the next part says, And they, continuing daily, with one accord in the temple, And breaking bread from house to house, did eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart. Praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily, such as should be saved. They're part of each other's lives daily. They're spending time together. They're eating together. They're going house to house, communing with each other, having this fellowship outside of this one day a week where we gather on the first day of the week for this particular service, for this observance of the Lord's Supper and, and the preaching. But it goes beyond that. We're going host to host every day. We're together daily with our brothers and sisters in Christ. And we're eating. And it points out they eat their meat with gladness. Praising God having favor with the people. Up in verse 42, just above where we read, it says, And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and in breaking of bread and in prayers. It's not just small talk. It's not just about the office and and this and that. There's the talk about my life and my needs. The things that are necessary. And that's the part where I see they had all things common. As in, when Julian needs something, and I happen to be able to supply that need, he can call me and I'll gladly supply that need, whatever it is. We have all things common. As in, if I've got it and you need it, Come and get it. It's yours. That's the kind of fellowship and the close knitness of a church. It ought to be. But it goes beyond just these earthly things, these normal things. It goes beyond the group gathering together for the football team game and cheering over that game. We're cheering over Christ. And verse 42, they continued in the apostles' doctrine. When we get together, our, our neighbors, um, it's two two places down, and it's just their guy's camp. He's out on weekends, and he's divorced, and their kid is with his mother most of the time, but he comes out to the camp on weekends quite frequently. And this is Colton, the kid that I said had gotten saved several weeks ago when he's out and yesterday you know he's he's been out the last few days and he spends more time at our place than he does with his dad <laughs> and that's a blessing but yesterday you know him and paul are out bouncing the trampoline they're running around doing this and that and they come in the house they're like you know we're talking about this or this and then of course the bible comes up of course the bible comes up <laughs> right right The Bible must come up. If we're believers together, why wouldn't the Bible come up? What kind of Christian am I if if I can spend time with my church family in our homes together and the Bible doesn't come up? There's something wrong there. But these kids are talking about any and everything. This, Paul came to me last night. He says, "Colton was asking about whether it's okay to have more than one wife. <laughs> Does the Bible say that?" Like, man, you guys ask me harder questions than anybody, than any of the adults at church ask me. <laughs> How do I deal with? But he wants to know. He wants to know what God has to say <laughs> about these things. Why aren't we need to be? together and it shouldn't be a a forced thing oh i need to talk about the bible today it's like it should just naturally spew out of us you know i was reading this i was thinking about this what do you think about this verse that's what our church needs to be that's what this body needs to be doctrine, it's fellowship, it's breaking of bread, and I've always thought when it says breaking of bread, we're talking about like the Lord's Supper, but I don't think it's limited to that, I think it's just, we're just eating together, we're sharing food together, we're, we got invited today to the um, Farron Street Bible Chapel's Sunday, their their church picnic, because we're friends with many of the people in that fellowship. And we're going to go and we're going to eat together and have that time of fellowship. I'll stop after this. 1 Corinthians, verse chapter 14. Corinthians 14 verse 26 says, How is it then, brethren, when ye come together, every one of you hath a psalm, hath a doctrine, hath a tongue, hath a revelation, hath an interpretation. Now this is kind of a complicated chapter to, to pull this out of and exactly how it's meant to be taken, but... But just look at this verse, just by itself. Every one of you hath a psalm, hath a doctrine, hath a a tongue, hath a revelation, hath an interpretation. And the last sentence says, let all things be done unto edifying. We're supposed to be building each other up. (laughs) We're supposed to be encouraging and strengthening one another as we do these things and you know some if if we're if we're living the way we ought to be living, if we're in our Bible reading, something should almost always be on your mind of something you've recently read that's kinda turning in there. I've been thinking about this passage. But if you're not reading, if you're not listening to any preaching outside of Sunday morning when you come to church, that's not going to happen very much. You're not going to have a lot to say. You're not going to have a doctrine that you need to talk about or a psalm that's been weighing on your heart. (laughs) Some, you know, the, the context here is different, but some interpretation. What do you think this verse means? What do you think God's, trying to say to us i don't understand this can you help me if you're not reading your bible none of that's going to come out we need to be in our bibles we need to be reading and so when we gather together not just on sunday morning but in each other's homes having fellowship we'll just be talking and something's going to come out it's like you know what i was i read this or something something comes up in conversation You know, I read a verse about that the other day. (laughs) Charmaine asked me something this morning about the neighbors. You know, what should I say to them about all these bad things happening? I said, well, you know what? I just read a verse. (laughs) We should should be able to answer many things in life with the phrase, I just read a verse about that. (laughs) The Bible speaks to almost every aspect of our life. We need to get in that book and read it. But even more, as a church, we need to be together. We need to have that fellowship. We need to have relationships that are so close that I can come to any one of you and tell you the burden of my heart, the need, the struggles, and have you
1: put an arm around
0: me Pray for me. Not just get on the phone and call somebody, you know what so-and-so said? You know what so-and-so is doing? It's not, it should just be, I should be able to have that complete trust. We all, with each other, should be able to have that. Let's pray. Our Lord, we just as we look at these many passages, and there's so much more that we could turn to, examples of the church in the New Testament and the fellowship, the unity among these churches. Help us to desire that. Help us to see that church is more than just going through the motions on Sunday morning not just sing this many hymns and listen to so many minutes of preaching and I get to go home again but Lord let us see that it's a boat a family unit that takes care of each other that fellowships and prays and loves one another Lord help us to have that help us to grow as a church in that way Lord Lord, just commit this into your hands and ask that you would put that desire in each one of our hearts, Lord. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.